Well, church, this is interesting. I am currently uh, alone in our facility preaching a message to a bunch of people that I love, uh, but who I might not see for an extended period of time. There's a lot of uncertainty right now in this unusual time for our nation and really around the world. Uh, All over the news we're seeing the effects of this rapidly spreading virus and and, uh, I believe the concerns are warranted. My plan for this Sunday was to finish out Colossians by pointing out, by looking at how Paul and and uh, the people that he mentions at the end of Colossians were, were busy about the work of Christ and, and how they worked together and were engaged with the ministry of the gospel and, and uh, in the hopes of encouraging our people to be doing the same. But this is more important, I believe. So I want to uh, preach this message uh, in this unusual way uh, to encourage you. I don't know when you will be listening to this. Uh, The beauty of the technology is that you can listen to it at your convenience. But I hope that you do. And I hope that you are encouraged by it. We are going to look at Acts chapter 16 particularly verses 23 through 31, but I will share the context of the whole passage from verse 16 through verse 34. My hope is that we can consider how the church can be what God has called us to be in this and any difficult time in our community. And to do that, I want to consider some lessons from Paul while he was in prison in Philippi. So, here's the passage. If you have your Bible with you, wherever you are listening, you can uh, read it for yourself or follow along. It's a pretty remarkable story. Verse 23 of Acts chapter 16. It says, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is Paul and Silas we are talking about, and they were in the city of Philippi doing gospel ministry and uh, came uh, into contact uh, with someone who had a spirit of divination and was following them around and crying out that they were servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. They kept doing it to the point where it was a hindrance to Paul and Silas, so Paul and Silas freed this person from this spirit. And it made that person's owner uh, very mad. Because uh, this uh, person who had this spirit of uh, divination, as Acts says, was bringing uh, her owner a lot of money with this. And so this angry owner, having lost this uh, cash flow, 
uh, through exploiting this poor girl, uh, ordered them seized and arrested, and they were seized and arrested and thrown into prison and beaten. Uh, Verse 25 continues the story. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So what lessons from Paul's imprisonment in Philippi can we take and apply to our current situation here at HBF? There's three things, and then we'll try to apply it in practical ways. The first lesson is this. Worship never stops. Worship never stops. It sounds like a funny thing for me to say, as I've just announced to our church that we are not going to be gathering for worship this Sunday. And I don't know when we will pick it up again. I'm hoping that it won't be long. But I want to be realistic. This is, this is a, a significant issue that our nation is going through right now. And we want to do everything we can to contribute to uh, the healing and the eradication of this virus. But worship never stops. Regardless of whether we are together in a building or you are separated in your homes, worship never stops. This would be a dark time for Paul and Silas, or anyone for that matter. They're in prison, having done nothing wrong, and having been inflicted with many blows from rods. So they've been beaten, and they've been wrongfully imprisoned. But they're not panicking. They're not fretting for their lives. They are singing and praying. This happens in spite of the fact that they are not with their fellowship and in spite of the fact that it seems like they don't have much to sing about. They are doing this because God does not stop being God simply because things aren't going well for them. God does not stop being worthy of their praise. God does not stop being the source of their trust and dependence. Their circumstances are inconsequential to the practice of prayer and worship. Meaning, they don't increase or decrease based on what they are going through in that particular day. Paul and Silas recognize that these are appropriate actions no matter where the Christian finds her or himself. 
Taking their worship with them, no matter where they went, meant they were an encouragement to people who would otherwise never be exposed to such a thing. The text tells us that the other prisoners were listening to them. Imagine what an impact that might have on ones who are also stuck in a terrible place. Instead of having their despair confirmed, they find it challenged by people who are not despairing in this dark time. Who knows what impact our commitment to worship God regardless of circumstances might have on another sufferer. So for Paul and Silas, as well as for us today, worship never stops. Another lesson we can learn from Paul in this passage of Scripture and in this difficult time in which he finds himself is that open doors are not always meant to be taken. Perhaps the most striking thing about this passage is not that an earthquake came and opened the jail, but that they did not flee when it did. I don't know why they did not flee. The text doesn't say. It's possible that Paul and Silas were concerned what might happen to the jailer if they were to flee. It's possible, but the text doesn't say. All we know is that their staying behind saved a life, literally and spiritually. The church of Jesus Christ is not called to flee hard places or circumstances, but to minister to others from within them. Paul and Silas must have believed that they had more important work in that jail than outside of it, and they were faithful to that commitment. So when the doors opened and they had an opportunity to get out of their dark place, to leave it behind, they don't go. They stay and are able to minister to people as a result. And this leads me to the last lesson that we can learn from Paul's imprisonment in Philippi in Acts chapter 16, and that is this. Gospel ministry is enhanced rather than put on hold in his prison. Paul is given a chance to proclaim the good news of Jesus. How much greater is the impact of the gospel on those who are suffering when the church commits to suffer with them? How much clearer is the message of a suffering Savior when it is proclaimed by a church that is willing to minister to others through difficulty? These two go hand in hand, as Paul tells Titus in the letter he wrote to Titus that we have in the New Testament, when he says, Our good works adorn the gospel of God our Savior. They don't make it look good. It's, it already looks good. Rather, what they do is they draw attention to the good gospel. Here is an example lived out in real time. In a dark place, full of despair, 
the light of the gospel breaks through because Christians were willing to dwell in the dark place. So these three lessons from Paul and his imprisonment, and Silas too. I don't want to forget Silas, you know. Paul is the kind of, he's kind of the, the, he's got lead billing in these stories, but Silas is there as well. These three lessons, worship never stops. Open doors are not always meant to be taken. And gospel ministry is enhanced rather than put on hold. I hope these are helpful to us as we think about who we are as the church in this community during this time. I believe, and even now, as news comes in, and the president just uh, had a press conference, uh, this is Friday evening that I'm, I'm recording this, <clears throat> I believe that things are probably going to get worse before they get better. I'm hopeful that by taking these drastic steps that the government is, is requesting that people take, it will help uh, alleviate the suffering for some, that it will make the, the recovery uh, quicker for our nation. But in the meantime, I want us to think about what this means for us, the church in this community. And there's two things that I want us to really think about in the coming weeks. And I hope I see you soon. I'm sure I will see some of you at different times. I know our board is going to be meeting weekly to uh, consider next steps and, and how things are looking. And this is Hamilton, right? So it's a small community. Even though people are kind of working to be isolated, uh, we'll still see each other from time to time. But my hope is that in a week or two weeks or at most three or four uh, we, will, we will be together again. But I don't know. I don't know. So until then, what should we be thinking about? What should we be doing? Well, here's a couple of things. One thing is that we ought to be operating from wisdom rather than from fear. No one knows how this is going to play out. I'm hopeful that the people who are still saying this is no big deal will be proven right. But we are called to exercise wisdom, and, and so that is what we will do. We are not called to a spirit of fear and panic. We are called to a spirit of trust in the providence of God. But trust should not look like arrogance. It is appropriate to be concerned and to operate out of that concern for the good of our community. But we can be confident that we are in the hands of an almighty God. We belong to him and he loves us regardless of what happens. Wisdom in this instance involves listening to our leaders and experts and following their guidance. So we will make our decisions based on the needs of those most vulnerable in our midst. We do not want anyone to suffer because we were too arrogant to follow good counsel. Be people who are pursuing wisdom rather than fear. But then finally, finally, <clears throat> we need to be thinking of others. We need to be thinking of others. It's interesting that in this passage, the person who benefits most from Paul and Silas and their willingness to consider others is the person that was holding them captive. Paul and Silas 
did not adjust their treatment of him based on that fact. They treated him well regardless. We need to be thinking of others. This is an opportunity for the church around the world to demonstrate the love of God to our neighbors through selfless consideration of their needs. There are going to be people who are scared by this virus because they are at a high risk for severe symptoms if they contract it. Already people in this country have died from it. We need to be thinking about how to minister to them in ways that are safe, wise, and compassionate. I and some other local pastors will be meeting this week to consider if there is anything we as the larger church can be doing together in our community. In the meantime, you as individuals, you as families, can be thinking about the people that you know who might have reason to fear going out in public. I would encourage you to reach out to them. Ask them what they might need. A big one might be someone to run their errands for them, to pick up their groceries or prescriptions, to take their dog for a walk, to drop off their mail. Establish some way to make contact that would limit exposure to them, but still get them what they need. You might come up with some other way of ministering to your neighbors. And if you do, I would encourage you to share it with the church body through email or some other mass communication method. It might be something that others could do for their neighbors as well. As the church of Jesus Christ, as his body in this world, we need to be thinking about how in this dark time we can bless, we can show God's love, God's grace to other people. Whatever happens, we can always be assured of these things, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that Jesus Christ is good. May we be strengthened during this time to demonstrate the love of Christ to a hurting and scared world. And may God be glorified through everything that happens with this virus. HBF family, I will be communicating with you uh, weekly through emails uh, to keep you up to date on any decisions that we make. I will also be posting sermons each week uh, that you can listen to at your leisure. I think it would be kind of neat if uh, our people were getting together on Sunday morning in their own homes and and uh, and and having the word ministered in their lives so that we're hearing the same passage, we're thinking about the same applications uh, for, how, you know, for how that passage comes to bear on our lives. Uh, so I will be doing that as long as we cannot meet or are not able to meet. Um, so be, be uh, aware, be looking out for communication from us uh, and be at work in the world in ways that show God's love to our neighbors. Let's pray. Lord God, you are God of everything. You are maker and sustainer. You are the beginning and the end. You know everything about us. You know our fears. 
Your word even tells us you know how many hairs we have on our head. Because we know this about you, we do not fear. But we entrust ourselves to a good and faithful God. This is uh, uncharted territory for a lot of people. So I pray that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us to consider uh, how best to move forward in this uh, new reality. We pray that this is not a new reality for a very long time, but that this can be mitigated uh, quickly and, and a minimal amount of people will suffer. But until then, Lord, we do need your wisdom and we need your strength. Protect those of our, our church family and our larger community who might be uh, most at risk of suffering from this virus if they contract it. Keep them safe, watch over them, and uh, help us think through how we can be a blessing to our neighbors in this time. Give us the resources, the energy, and the time uh, to be able to do that. Lord, you came to us. You emptied yourself for us. May we do the same for others so that they might know who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.